Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. On the line with us for the hour is Congressman Ro Khanna. He represents the 17th District of California, more or less the Silicon Valley area. He is the vice in the U.S. House of Representatives. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. His Twitter handle is Rep Ro Khanna. First of all, Congressman Connor, welcome back to the program. I'm hearing and seeing news stories popping up, particularly out of California, that people want you to run for governor. What's the deal here? No, no, no. I, the issue is the uh, state delegation to the convention, and uh, Bernie carried the state, and they want mm-hmm. a Bernie person to chair the state convention to the delegation to the state convention. And so there was a petition that hundreds of Bernie delegates have signed to say whether I can chair it. And I've said I'm not going to campaign for that. But I do think that uh, Bernie did carry the state and his priority should be reflected in the state delegation. And I'm happy to do it if, the, if selected. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Although I think you'd make a great governor, too. <laughs> well, I, um, I'm, I'm happy in uh, I think Gavin's doing a very good job, all, all things considered. Yeah, with, but uh, so, my, so apparently my misunderstanding was that uh, Newsom, the current governor, would be the one who heads the state delegation. Is that it? And people want you you instead? To the I DNC. think ceremonially, a lot of times the governor has done it or a senator has done it, mm-hmm. you know, and usually it's just decided in a, a back room about who should who should do it. And there's but, you know, the rules say that the delegates should really vote for it. And I think a lot of the Bernie right. delegates feel that given that Bernie carried the state, uh, they want someone who's going to advocate for Medicare for all and free public college and the platform. And, and, and uh, sure. while it's more symbolic, I, I do think it makes a difference in terms of the direction of the party. Well, I think it does, too. And I'd love to have you. I mean, I'm not a Californian. You know, it's not my say, but, you know, having you head up the delegation of, of one of our largest. In fact, I think it is is our largest state to the DNC and, and advocate for those, you know, because you were, weren't you a co-chair of Bernie's uh, campaign? I was. I was with Nina Turner and uh, Ben Cohen and Carmen Cruz. I was one of the four co-chairs and, as you know, went, went all over the country for Bernie. And that's where I discovered that mm-hmm. uh, there are Tom Hartman listeners in every part of this country and uh, met many of them. So uh, 
uh, yeah, no, I, I think it would be a, a great uh, thing to do, even for the Biden campaign. I think it would just make the Bernie uh, delegates feel heard. And uh, California is one of the more progressive states and state Bernie carried. And I think we should be very strong in, in pushing for some of these policies. Yeah, it would be a good thing. Before we pick up phone calls here, is there anything in particular that's on the top of your mind or your agenda or what you see going forward that you want to highlight for our listeners? Well, the biggest push this week has been on the Justice and Policing Act. As, as you may remember, Tom, my bill uh, with Lacey Clay is in there to change the standard of force, uh, that, that police shouldn't be able to use force just because they think it's reasonable, which is the William Rehnquist standard from 1989. They should have to show that uh, it was absolutely necessary, that they took every possible step before they used force. And uh, that passed the Judiciary Committee uh, this week. And so uh, we're working to make sure we pass it in the House and that we have a strong bill uh, in the House on on reforming so many parts of the uh, police violence uh, crisis. That's great. Okay, let's pick up some phone calls here. Dave in Richland, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Uh, hello, Congressman. Are you concerned at all about the Trump appointee to the head of the post office? Do you think that they might somehow uh, try to sabotage it so that it'll be down so it can't? people will not be able to vote by mail? Yeah, but I'm concerned. I mean, especially when you have the president tweeting out that his big concern is if people vote by mail, he's going to lose. He knows that if people vote, uh, he, he loses. And I think they feel that they're only... Uh, their only possibility to winning is to prevent people from voting by mail. And so they're going to sue in states. They're going to try to uh, put pressure in, in, in every way. And uh, I think we have to, in Congress, be very vigilant to make sure we have a fair election. Lou in Pueblo, Colorado. You're on the air with Congressman Cano. Hey, uh, good morning, Ro. Uh, question I have is, you know, I live in different areas and pretty much the the uh, Trump voters that I talked to, they live in a total fantasy world. They told me that, you know, COVID-19 is a Chinese plot and they're not going to take any stinking vaccine because that's a plot, too. How, how do we address this? How do we get the truth through to them? Is Congress doing anything in that direction or can you? Well, it's a very big challenge. I mean, you have the, the politicization of science. I mean, Fauci has been on television saying that he doesn't understand how people are not listening to, to science in terms of the benefits of a, a vaccine would have in terms of just wearing masks. And it's a very difficult situation where the politicization has been exacerbated by Trump, who, who has tweeted basically to, to disregard science. And so you have people literally in the Congress, Republicans, kind of machoism uh, walking around not wearing masks. And in fact, the speaker had to say that uh, they couldn't attend hearings and order the sergeant in arms to uh, kick them out if they're not wearing masks and putting staff and others at risk. Uh, but we just have to have as many elected officials and hopefully some reasonable Republicans talk about the need to wear masks and take basic steps for safety. Jim in Sacramento, California, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Oh, thank you for taking my call. I'm in Matsui's district, not yours, but I've seen you on so many things. Uh, uh, you're really doing a great job promoting progressivism. I just wanted to mention uh, on the Supreme Court decision, the Roberts Court has based their decision on a violation of due process. 
And by not uh, the president not holding hearings or doing any investigation before making such a change affecting one million people or close to one million people, uh, he's violated due process. Virtually You're everything talking DACA, that he's Jim? been doing falls into that. I'm sorry? You're talking DACA? Yes, DACA. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. decision your question. Uh, is clearly showing a violation of due process. But if you expand on that, you look at all of his presidential orders or many of them, the same thing's going on. And this is a violation, direct violation of the Constitution guaranteeing citizens due process. Can you okay, go let's and let's get the congressman's thoughts on this? Thank yeah. you, Jim. Well, Jim. I agree with you completely. I mean, the, pre the, the government promised these uh, DACA kids that they would be able to have legal status, and they're revoking a promise we made. And this is why I've said that uh, every time Trump claims to be for law and order, we ought to remind the American people that he's been the most anti-law and order president in, uh, in modern times. I mean, he has undermined systematically uh, the law and our constitutional order in almost everything he has done. So uh, the, the person who would uh, restore the rule of law are, are, are the Democratic uh, are Democrats. And I think uh, we do need to make that clear to people. Yeah. He tweeted this morning that uh, basically the Supreme Court said, you just filled out the paperwork wrong and he's going to fill it out right and resubmit it. Do you think he's going to succeed in shutting down DACA? I don't. And I think he wants it more as a political issue than uh, anything else. And I, uh, I I hope people will apply the new new folks who need to be part of DACA, the court if they can, and, uh, and they should do it expeditiously. I think this is, is just him playing politics. Yeah, and stay with it. Got it. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour here on the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of your calls for the Vice Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus right after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Khanna's website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro, R-O Khanna. Hey, Donald Trump has said some pretty outrageous and in many cases just screamingly racist things over the years and very, very much trafficked in racist tropes, saying things like, you know, all Republicans must remember what they're witnessing here, a lynching, speaking about people attacking him for the things he's said, or I'm the least racist person you've ever encountered. I don't have a racist bone in my body, which is something that racists always say. What has happened to the respect for authority, the fear of retribution? Bring back the death penalty and bring back our police, says Donald Trump. You know, why do we need more Haitians? Why are we having people from all these asshole countries come here? We should have more people from places like Norway, says Donald Trump. Anyhow, the whole list of them is uh, posted as a video over at TomHartman.com. Check it out. Thanks so much. James in Hollywood, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Congressman, um, I wonder if you can uh, put up two standalone bills, real simple, so all the American people. And, and the first one is, is $12 billion for the post office. Save the post office. And have Pelosi bring it up immediately, pass the bill, 
and publish the results in in WAPO and Wall Street Journal and every local newspaper, Republicans who voted against it, saving the post office. And two, a 50-state mail-in ballot option. Do Republicans want American citizens to risk their life to go vote or an option to vote from their kitchen table? Keep them simple and make the votes public and they become campaign uh, winners. I think if you can keep it simple, no American citizen has seen a two-sentence bill, just put it up, pass it, and and go. And, and I think it's a winner. James, let's get the congressman's thoughts on that. Thank you. James, it's a good idea. I mean, we have passed uh, uh, bills to uh, have uh, mail-in voting and funding for that as part of the coronavirus relief. We have passed funding to support the postal office and keep it open. But I think having a standalone bill that has an up and down vote to put people on record is a, is a good idea. And I will suggest it to the caucus. Scott in Oakland, California, you're on the air with Con- Congressman Connor. Hi, good morning. I'm calling about the need for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission after Trump is gone, particularly with a lot of this violence from the right. What happened in Ben Lomond on the 6th was uh, the, the deputy sheriff Gutzweiler being murdered by cut with his Carrillo, this Air Force sergeant who was an elite security officer in the Air Force, active duty, who also killed the uh, the officer in Oakland during the Black Lives Matter protest there to try to blame it on the left. I'm very concerned that uh, this right wing uh, violence is going to go unexposed, uh, that they're going to not we're not going to be able to have the truth behind it. And I would particularly look at the Dallas BLM shooting in uh, 2016. Very suspicious. They captured three people escaping that were wearing body armor. They were held. The chief of police... Scott, we're almost out of time. What's your question for the congressman? I'm sorry. Are we going to have truth and reconciliation to expose the right wing's bootlegging of violence into left protests? Got it. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Barbara Lee has a bill. It's called the a truth and reconciliation bill, and it's all about uh, how do we move forward on issues of race, how do we move forward on issues uh, of, of recognizing the dignity of uh, every American. And so I, I take a look at her, the bill that she's introducing. Makes perfect sense. It would be Barbara Lee uh, proposing that. She is brilliant. She really is. Congressman. Yeah, she really is. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour. We'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Khanna in just a moment. Vice Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour. And uh, Catherine in Burlington, Vermont, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yes, hi, Congressman. I'm calling to ask you if you've heard the Bank for International Settlements located in Basel, Switzerland. Yeah, there's a, a bank for that or in, in Basel? Or? Bank for International Settlements. It's uh, the clearinghouse that? that banks all around the world use when they do interbank transactions, isn't that, Catherine? Isn't that what you're talking about? Uh, no, it's a little deeper than that. Our so what's your Federal point? Reserve, uh, our privately owned Federal Reserve is always indebted to them. Along with 55 other countries, their central banks are indebted to them. They make a ton of money on wars and, uh, and so forth. And I, I stitched this together with JFK. JFK tried... Catherine, I'm going to stop this right here. I I think we're just going down a rabbit hole. Do you want to comment on it at all, Congressman Connor? You know, I don't know about what uh, this bank is. I mean, I I would just say in the case of the Fed, where uh, they print money, we have fiat currency, and that may lead to devaluation of the currency. Uh, And of course, we still have other countries lend us money, but that's really a monetary policy decision that's really independent of other other central banks. Yeah. Uh, Sarah in Oxford, Ohio, you have a question for Congressman Connor? Yes. Um, I was wondering if any other states have considered doing what our governor here in Ohio has considered doing the past few days, and that is state issuing state license issuing to the police officers, which means there'll be like an oversight committee watching them. Their license can be revoked without charges being on them or anything like the normal, like the way we have it now. Um, Just like physicians. I'm surprised that not a lot of people are even talking about 
you know, what he said. And, you know, I don't really care for the governor at all, but I was really surprised over this idea. Sounds awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no, I think uh, sir, that having an oversight uh, board and having more accountability uh, is, is definitely one part of uh, what we need. I mean, I, I think we need to make sure police officers can be sued and get rid of qualified immunity. We need to change the standard of force. Uh, we need to have much more de-escalation as part of the, uh, the, the training. Uh, but having a community oversight uh, boards, I, I think, are part of the solution. Margaret in Brooklyn, New York, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Oh, great. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, I'm very worried about the timing of mail-in ballots for the general election because it takes time to get the ballot, to fill out the ballot, to mail the ballot. And I'm afraid if uh, it's not done in a timely manner with a lot of lead time for people, that things will be mailed and they will arrive too late to count. Uh, Is the Congress doing all that they can on a nationwide basis to make sure those ballots count. I agree with you. I share your concerns. We passed in the uh, coronavirus recent uh, recovery bill uh, money for uh, mail-in ballots, and we're we're trying to push as hard as we can. But look, the president's not going to sign that. The Senate's not going to be for that. I mean, the president is in an interview today said that his big concern is that people would be able to vote by mail, and that's what's going to cost him the election. So he is fighting through lawsuits and every means possible uh, to stop people from being able to vote by mail. We saw they tried to do that in Wisconsin. We won nonetheless. Uh, and we're going to have to be in the courts. We're going to be, have to be uh, fighting with, the, with Secretary of State to, uh, to make sure everyone gets to vote. Uh, and it's a state-by-state battle. Kamon in Dayton, Ohio. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Yes, sir. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. And um, I want to know um, actually why I have not heard um, the Progressive Caucus speak out against this Bay of Pigs type of invasion that was recently um, perpetrated on Venezuela. And uh, uh, Pompeo saying that those Americans who were captured in this invasion, uh, we have to get them back. When actually they they are, uh, they broke the law by trying to invade that country. We have no right to go in there and, and try to rescue them. I agree with that. I think that the, I have spoken out. I said that well, my Madero has committed a lot of human rights atrocities and uh, is, is not a good actor, but for the Americans to go in and try to uh, uh, have engineer uh, Guaido to become the leader is only going to uh, result in a greater backlash in Venezuela. And what we ought to do is uh, defer to Mexico and Uruguay and the Pope. We're trying to have a mediated settlement. Uh, that is the best thing for the country instead of uh, our active intervention. Congressman, we just have 45 seconds to the break. Do you see any kind of how do you think the situation with Venezuela is going to play out? They, they, are, they have the world's largest reserves of oil. That's, that makes it kind of a high-stakes game, doesn't it? it? It does. And I think it's this is a case where the right policy, human rights policy, of encouraging the diplomacy and the settlement with some kind of uh, ability uh, to, to have different parts of parties represented in government is also in our national interest. I mean, what we do when we go in and try to uh, support a particular leader is we basically give Madero his talking points. He goes in and he says, look, the Americans are coming in and trying to pick your leader. Uh, it's counterproductive, and yet we keep making a similar mistake around the world. Yeah, and we've been doing it for 100 years, it seems. 
Congressman, Congressman Ro Khanna with us, the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. Exposing the con in conservative. It's the Tom Harbin program. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour. We'll be back with more news tonight. Today, we're reading about Thunderdome politics, an uncivil war taking back our democracy in an age of Trumpian disinformation and Thunderdome politics by Greg Sargent, the Washington Post columnist. This is from his chapter on voter suppression. It's page 37. Republicans and Democrats inhabit different political realities, as mentioned in a previous chapter. But there are certain facts about our politics that are just objectively true. One of them is this. Generally speaking, efforts to make it harder to vote are almost always pushed by Republicans. You cannot understand what is happening in American politics right now without recognizing this stark and very fundamental difference between the two major political parties. During this decade, procedural hurdles were put into place in around 20 states that in some manner or other have made it harder to vote or to register to vote or have undone previous efforts to make voting or registering easier or have otherwise threatened serious disenfranchisement. Most of them were the creation of Republican lawmakers and officials. The difference in the two parties' national platforms for 2016 tells the story. The GOP platform champions additional hurdles that are absurdly disproportionate to the phantom abuse it alleges, while the Democratic platform champions multiple specific ways to make it easier to vote, not harder. The most common and controversial of methods used by Republicans to suppress Democratic turnout is the requirement that would-be voters present identification at the polls. The game here tends to turn on requiring forms of ID that some groups are less likely to have, making participation harder for them. Other restrictions include techniques like cutting back on early voting and making it harder to register, both of which have, in recent years, been instituted in multiple states. Republicans who have passed laws making it harder to vote have tended to claim such measures are necessary to protect against, quote, voter fraud. We'll look at this in more detail below, but for now, Note that most of the states that have passed such measures did so while under Republican control. As New York University political scientist Samuel Isikoff has memorably put it, the single predictor necessary to determine whether a state will impose voter access restrictions is whether Republicans control the ballot access process. Scholars trace the modern era of warfare over election rules to the intensely contested presidential election of 2000 in which a divided Supreme Court halted the recount in Florida, throwing the presidency to George W. Bush. The closeness and partisan acrimony of that contest, combined with the intense national focus on election rules that accompanied the court battle over it, helped persuade both parties to invest much more attention and energy on those rules. As a result, both the implementation of measures restricting the ballot and the legal battles over them have intensified in recent years. A brief glance at the surprising history of voter ID laws begins to tell the story of this tightening. In the 1970s, several states implemented voter ID measures, but all of them provided for ways that voters without the proper ID could cast a ballot. By 2000, there were 14 such laws, and they had been implemented by politicians in both parties. But by the mid-2000s, amid rising post-2000 acrimony, a handful of red states began implementing voter ID laws that the nonpartisan National Conference of State Legislatures described as, quote, strict, meaning that they make it easy to disqualify those who don't pass muster. After one of those laws in Indiana was challenged and then upheld in 2008 by the Supreme Court, an escalation began that gained momentum in the Obama era. 
From 2010 onward, the adoption of voter ID laws in general, and of strict ones in particular, accelerated. Though a handful were blocked in the courts, as of this writing, a total of 34 states have voter ID laws in effect, 24 that are deemed non-strict, and 10 that are deemed strict. The strict ones are in red states or in swing states where they were implemented by Republicans. The story is very similar if you evaluate the state's voting rules in a broader way by including not just voter ID measures, but also cutbacks to early voting and restrictions on registration. Here the trend is just as pronounced. After the 2010 elections, the Brennan Center for Justice documented a sharp rise in efforts to pass such measures in the state legislatures across the country. Not all these efforts bore fruit, but many did. By the time voting took place in Election Day 2016, some 14 states had these new restrictions in place for the first time in a presidential election. This narrative contains some important truths. Some of the forms that these restrictions on voting access have taken in recent years are diabolically obvious in their efforts to keep constituencies supportive of Democrats from voting. Still others boast the distinction of being more insidiously designed and thus less obvious in their intentions. The book is An Uncivil War by Greg Sargent of the Washington Post. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour here on the Tom Hartman program. Kenji in Napa, California, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, Tom. Congressman, how are you doing? Um, I have a, uh, a question. I was wondering if uh, anyone has ever considered an automation tax as a source of funding for both Medicare for All and uh, UBI. It'd be kind of like a payroll tax on robots. You know, I think Bill Gates, I think, has proposed a robot tax. I mean, I'm, I, I do think that having some tax, uh, uh, if it's tied to uh, uh, helping people get uh, education, employment, uh, makes sense. I mean, on the on Medicare for All, there are, of course, uh, so many ways to, to, to pay for it. Uh, most, most notably, you can uh, charge corporations uh, money that they won't have to give to uh, private insurance companies. So I don't know if you necessarily uh, a tax on uh, robots for that, but in terms of having some tax on uh, robots to make up for the decline in employment, uh, that's definitely worth uh, exploring. Ed in Belfair, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, uh, Representative Kana. My question has to do with the slush fund, the 500 billion or plus that Minutia has. After this administration is voted out, are we going to have a full accounting where that money went to? And is there any chance of us ever getting any of that, any of that money back? Thank you. Well, it's outrageous that they are not telling us uh, who the money is going to with the PPP funds, the small businesses. They're, and they're not uh, being transparent in who the money is going to go to into the, the $500 billion fund. Uh, many of these corporations that are getting money uh, spent their money on stock buybacks. Uh, so I think that was one of the uh, really terrible parts of the relief efforts. And uh, we in Congress are continuing to push for disclosure, transparency, uh, and having taxpayers get some equity or some returns for the money we've lent these large corporations. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hey, good morning, Tom and Congressman Kana. Thanks for the town hall. Congressman, this week Tom's been asking exactly when was it that the Republican Party declared war on democracy and sold out wholesale to the oligarchy. 
And in my opinion, regardless of when it started after the anti-democratic onslaught of these last three, three and a half years, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this 2020 election, general election, needs to be seen as maybe the last stand for democracy. Um, of course, Joe Biden's going to have to run a progressive campaign to inspire people, tying racial justice to economic and environmental justice, as well as criminal justice. But beyond that, we're going to need an immediate mobilization of of people to register voters and a massive effort to get out the vote and protect the vote. And to, the, to that point, Congressman, how concerned are you with the Republican plan to send 50,000 operatives to polling sites in 15 states to supposedly watch over the voting, something they were banned from doing for, for 36 years from 82 to 2018 because of uh, a blatant and persistent record of intimidating voters, especially people of color? Yeah, this is how William Rehnquist made his chops. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Trump realizes that he's down eight, ten points in the polls. He's down in every swing state. Uh, He's got a pandemic, which he has totally botched. He's got an economic recovery, which he has botched. And so he realizes a fair election, he loses. And so the only way he could possibly win, and he's tweeting out today, is uh, if he suppresses the vote. And that, that is part of their strategy. And it's going to be a, a huge fight to make sure they don't succeed at doing that. David in Columbus, Ohio, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hello, Congressman. My concern is that the Democrats take a comprehensive approach. I think Bernie was doing this. I think Elizabeth Warren was doing this somewhat. But more progressive values and more things that benefit the average voter. This worked in uh, West Virginia, works in other southern states. I just... I wonder why it's not coming out strongly. So you're separating strongly between Republicans and Democrats. I agree with you. I think we have to talk about basic policies that are going to improve people's lives. That means giving everyone health care. That means making sure that everyone has a decent wage, that they can be part of a union, that they can uh, have education for their kids and afford that. Uh, have massive infrastructure spending. Uh, these are the things we have to stand for, and we have to be very concrete and keep keep emphasizing it. Howard in New York City, you're on the Earth Congress from Kana. Yeah, hi, thanks. I don't understand why Nancy Pelosi doesn't impeach Donald Trump. Now, there are two good reasons, the relationship with China and also Lafayette Square. Well, the fact is that we have tried to, to get rid of Trump. Uh, we, we didn't uh, succeed in, in the Senate. Um, at this point, we have to just defeat him in the ballot box. Zach in North Hollywood, California. Zach, you're on the Earth Congress from Kana. Morning, gentlemen. I wonder what would happen, either of you can respond to this, if Joe Biden came right out and gave something the voters, something to really sink their teeth into. Four things. Number one, make mandatory, make it mandatory mail-in voting in all states. No time limits for the count or the recount. Number two, abolish Citizens United which is an affront to anyone's basic understanding of democracy. Number three, abolish the Electoral College on the grounds that it's obsolete. And number four, and maybe the most important, is abolish the fake Nixon OLC memo in the DOJ that puts the executive above the law and invites abuse of power. 
Zach, I, I'm sympathetic. I think Biden would do all of those things. He'd fight for all those things. The House would do do those things. But the, the challenge is that you currently have a Senate and a president who aren't going to do it. But in terms of what Biden should promise the American people, in terms of enfranchising them, protecting the right to vote, I think you're absolutely right about the things you point to. Michael in Bronx, New York. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hello, Tom. Hello, Congressman. Very important I call him because it's reported that Trump issued a tweet which may see as a threat of harm and even a death threat to protesters. I understand we have a problem with looters and so forth, but even to the peaceful protesters. He did not want anyone protesting outside his Tulsa um, event, and he's threatening violence. He says you're not going to be treated like you were in New York City or anything like that. And I sense, given the history of his tweets, his rhetoric, please tell me, Congressman, that you, Nancy Pelosi, and the Congress would be able to take action against Trump, even if it means arresting him and treating him like any other criminal, citing exigent circumstances. And Congressman, here's the uh, actual tweet that Trump tweeted out. Any protesters, anarchists, agitators, looters, or lowlifes who are going to Oklahoma, please understand you will not be treated like you have been in New York, Seattle, or Minneapolis. It will be a much different scene, exclamation mark. Your thoughts? Well, I had seen that tweet, and it's horrifying. I mean, he's basically inciting potential violence against peaceful protesters, which is the hallmark, of course, of American democracy. Uh, and what we have to do is, I think the journalists have a big obligation. Uh, those of us in Congress have an obligation to speak out. All I can say is when he tried this stunt uh, outside the White House, holding up uh, the Bible, it, it, his numbers dropped five to six points in the polls. And so it is something that the American people will not put up with. But we have to be vigilant, speak out. And I am concerned about the violence that could take place. Yeah, there are uh, over on Twitter, there's a lot of people who are uh, talking about reporting that tweet to Twitter, asking them to, because, you know, saying that it promotes violence. It's amazing right. stuff. We're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Connor, K-H-A-N-N-A.house.gov is his website. You can tweet him at RepRoConnor. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? 
In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Jay in St. Petersburg, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. It's an honor to be on with you, Tom and Roe. I think you supported this bill, but there's a bill in since 2009 called the 21st Century CCC Act. I think it would be a great program to bring back as a national service uh, when the coronavirus ends and to get our young people jobs in the national service that would teach them job skills and get them going on in life. And I'm just wondering if... Um, there was just an Outdoors Act passed by the Senate. Would this dovetail in with this program, and would you support it yourself? Thank you. Yeah, I would definitely support the CCC program, and I think it would be uh, good to get young people involved in public service and understanding the importance of our uh, environment or land or uh, air or water and, and, and treating that with respect. I've also proposed, along with Senator Warren, a digital works pro- program, uh, building on the works uh, public works uh, administration and and the New Deal, but now we need so many people to do contact tracing, to do digital tasks. Why can't we help uh, hire a lot of young people and people uh, in mid-careers to be able to do that and put them back to work? Gordon in Sacramento, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Oh, it's such an honor, Tom, to be on your show. Thank you for taking my call. I have a question. My dad is 94 years old, and he's a veteran on the tail end of World War II, and then he re-upped for Korea and served his time in Korea when the uh, army was desegregated by Truman. But he was underserved, and I'm sure a lot of uh, men of color his age were underserved by the Veterans Administration due to the systematic racism that also linked through the Veterans Administration during that period. Will you guys, if you you know win the election and take over the majority, revisit that of those soldiers of color that really weren't served well by the Veterans Administration? Because there's not many of them left. Thank you. Yes, I'm happy to. And I think thank you for raising this issue. Thank you for your father's service. If you write to our office, we're happy to look into it in more detail. You can just go to my website, Rokana. But I absolutely think we need to do right by those people who serve the country, black soldiers in, in particular, and, and, and people of color in some certain cases who did not uh, get treated with dignity in the way they were deserved. Yeah, they got screwed with the GI Bill, too. A little more comprehensive thoughts on what could be done about that? Well, I think the you know the GI Bill they they came, they served they didn't uh, 
get uh, educational benefits in many cases because universities didn't accept them, even if they had the educational benefits, they didn't get housing benefits because of redlining. And this is why I'm for reparations of some form uh, to communities that have been uh, denied basic benefits. And in cases where you can trace specific exclusion with individuals, I think they ought to be compensated. Yeah. Do you think that that could pass? I mean, obviously right now it wouldn't get past Mitch McConnell, but do you think that there's a broad sense in the Democratic caucus, the the larger Democratic Party in the House, uh, for doing something like that? I do. I think that the H.R. 40 is a good start, which is a commission to look at reparations. And my hope is more and more Democrats at least will get on that. And I do see an increase after the George Floyd uh, killing. I I see more people at least uh, being open for it. Great. Hey, Tom Harbin here. I have a new book out. It's called The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, and Ralph Nader wrote the foreword. It's available for pre-order wherever you find fine books. So we've got a new video up over at TomHarbin.com, and this is about just a totally bizarre story about these three guys with no VA experience, uh, not even veterans, who are all big shots down at Mar-a-Lago that Donald Trump has put in charge of the Veterans Administration functionally. And their association, one of them is the head of Marvel Entertainment, their association with Johnson & Johnson and the New York Stock Exchange, and Johnson & Johnson, the big drug company, taking this very, very cheap chemical ketamine, tweaking the molecule a little bit, and rolling it out as a new anti-suicide drug, Spravato, that in clinical trials caused six people to die three of them by suicide, and none of the people taking the placebo to die. And now Trump is telling the VA, you have to buy this highly inflated price drug from Johnson & Johnson, and the Democrats want to know what's up with the VA crowd, guys. Check it out. It's at TomHartman.com. And welcome back. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour. Steve in Chicago. Steve, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, Congressman. Trump's tweets clearly violate the fighting words doctrine that's been upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't care if he's president or not. You cannot incite violence. What can we What can we do to stop this? Well, Steve, you're right. I mean, under the Brandenburg test, you cannot have speech that either incites violence or uh, encourages unlawful conduct. And uh, the president is... Uh, uh, basically inciting violence. Now, the question is, is he talking about the state's use of force? But even the state's use of force is unjustified against peaceful protesters. So uh, I think that uh, those things need to be uh, called out by social media companies. Uh, and, you know, the, we need to have strong rebuttal. The problem is we don't even don't have Republicans willing to stand up to him. So uh, until we win, uh, it, it's just a, a fight for our democratic values. Terry in Bakersfield, California, are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, Tom and Rokana. I have this. I have a question concerning the Senate Judiciary Committee that that I was watching on Saturday. They had this review of the FBI Russia investigation proceedings. During it, I heard an aide whisper to Lindsey Graham, which was the chair. The White House has an amendment, and uh, Lindsey Graham acknowledged, yeah, okay. Is there supposed to be this collaboration between the White House administration and the Congress committees? No, I mean, it's, you know, tradition, there's some coordination, but basically you now have the Senate as the uh, extended arm of the Trump White House. I mean, they're all 
taking their direction from Trump because they fear that Trump is more popular than they are with uh, the Republican base. And, uh, uh, you know, Trump, again, was basically threatening Republican senators, saying, uh, don't depart from me or I'm going to uh, come campaign against you. And they fear him. Dick in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. It's actually Gilmanton Ironworks, but that's okay. It's a real honor and a treat to speak to to both of you. The question is, if my memory serves me at all, during the impeachment process, there is a limiting ability on the person being impeached, such as the president, on their ability to govern. And if that's true, then it makes some sense, at least to me, to keep him in impeachment process throughout the duration. Thank you. Hmm. I think he's at, he's saying that while you're being impeached, you can't run for office. Am I getting that right? Yeah, you know, I, that's not uh, my understanding, David. I think you you can. We obviously we impeached him. Uh, the Senate acquitted him, and I think that the country wouldn't want us to be focused on that as opposed to focused right now on the pandemic and. Uh, focused on economic recovery. Uh, but, the, the, you know, the, the good news is that I think for the first time I get the sense that people are really tired of Trump. They, something has changed, turned a corner. Uh, they've seen that he has been disastrous in uh, how he's handled uh, these crises. Steve in Topanga, California. You're on the earth, Congressman Connor. Hi, gentlemen. Uh, my question is that uh, the PG&E just got um, pleaded guilty to murdering all those people with their fire and corporations have been giving personhood, but in a different way. They're not a naturalized person. Wouldn't this be an opportunity for you, Congressman, to uh, exploit this uh, difference in how the Santa Clara against the railroad decision is wrong and corporations aren't naturalized people? Being from California you and Northern California, wouldn't this be an opportunity to show the absurdity of Citizens United and to really take this and run it down the road? Yes, Steve, I agree with you. I mean, PG&E has been awful. I mean, they have underinvested in safety. They've underinvested in the requirements of training that keep people safe. I definitely think this shows that corporations shouldn't be people, and it shows that corporations shouldn't have uh, unlimited political power. It also shows, frankly, that we ought to have a public utility in California and not allow private profits from PG&E to be uh, dictating energy. Congressman, we just have 35 seconds. What should we be looking at in this coming week? Where should we be focusing our activism, in your opinion? Uh, Tom, two places. One, we still need the Senate to act on the state and local aid that has passed the House. It's unconscionable that they're not acting. It's meaning a budget cut as we speak in many states. Uh, and they're increasing unemployment, actually. I mean, for all of uh, the talk of Larry Kudlow that uh, we're paying people not to work, that's actually not true. But what we are doing is cutting state budgets, not giving them money, and that's what's causing a lot of the unemployment. And second, we have to get a real meaningful structural change on police violence, not just this president's executive order, which was uh, had no teeth in it. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great having you on. Always love it. Thanks. Thank you, Congressman Ro Khanna. Khanna.house.gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. We'll be back. With, I'll be taking your calls right after this. Stick around. Uh, it's the Tom Hartman program. Fair and only slightly unbalanced. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hey. 
And it's the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today I'm reading from The Prophet's Way, A Guide to Living in the Now. It's actually a compilation of diaries and letters that I sent to friends on travels around the world. And it's kind of an autobiography, I suppose, of sorts. This is from Life in a Teepee. It's on page 25. And it starts with a quote from Lenny Bruce. Every day people are straying away from the church and going back to God. My best friend through school was Clark Stinson. We met when we were 13, and instead of pursuing the normal pastimes of teenagers, we spent our time studying Sanskrit. We had an old study guide book I found in my father's library, reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead and arguing minutia from the Bible. Clark's mother was interested in metaphysics and shared a book called Autobiography of a Yogi with us. Years later, when I went to Detroit with her and Clark to attend an initiation in Kriya Yoga by Yogacharya Oliver Black, the oldest living disciple of Yogananda, I recognized Yogananda's Kriya technique as identical to an ancient Coptic exercise Master Stanley had taught us years earlier called the Cobra Breath. I introduced Clark to Master Stanley and Lee, and Clark and I began a serious study of spirituality. We were both in our late teens by then, and Clark had recently married. I was recovering from a painful breakup with a girlfriend, and we agreed that to do our spiritual work best, we should seek isolation. Clark and his wife bought a teepee, and I bought one, and we three gave away everything else we owned in the world except some clothes and our spiritual books. We bought 100 pounds of wheat, 100 pounds of dried fruits, some basic camping equipment, and got a ride into, up into Michigan's Upper Peninsula, where an old trapper led us on a three-day trek back into the Chippewa National Forest to a small lake that isn't on most maps. We spent the summer there, Clark and his wife on one side of the lake, me on the other. Three days a week, we practiced silence and did meditation and prayer every day for hours. I had a pet tachnid fly, a small insect that looks like a honeybee, but is actually a fly. When I'd meditate in the morning on my blanket outside my teepee, he'd come and hover just over my right hand as if he were drawing nourishment from me. Sometimes he'd hover there for as much as 20 minutes. Occasionally he'd land and walk around with careful steps like an astronaut exploring a distant but friendly planet. I also shared my teepee with a large and furry brown and black wolf spider who came out at night as the sun set and picked the sleeping mosquitoes off the canvas on the west side of my teepee. I watched the play of life and death, predator and prey. Here's an odd synchronicity that Carl Jung would have appreciated. I haven't seen a tagnid fly for years, but as I'm typing these words into a laptop computer on my back porch in Atlanta, one just hovered over my left hand for a few moments and then landed. He's here with me as I'm sitting, as I'm typing, sitting on my hand. One cold and rainy afternoon, Clark and I were walking through the woods looking for berries and edible plants. We'd gotten pretty skilled at identifying what was safe and what wasn't, and were filling a bag with leaves and fruits. This must be what our ancestors lived like, Clark observed, hunting and gathering. Except we're vegetarians, so we're just gathering, I said, joking. But to Clark, it wasn't a joke. Seriously, what we call civilization started when humans started farming. But humans like us were around for tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of years before that, fully conscious, awake, aware, thinking and feeling just like us, but they were hunters and gatherers instead of farmers. I said, without agriculture, there'd be no civilization. It was an interesting thought. Remember Miss Hemmer, Clark said? Miss Hemmer had been our eighth grade biology teacher and one of the best teachers I'd ever known in my life. Clark and I had conspired to make her life difficult, but we also loved her and learned more from her each month than from any of our other teachers in a year. And she was a huge fan of Margaret Mead. Clark said, she said that in primitive societies, there isn't suicide, depression, drug addiction, all that stuff. The noble savage, I said, shivering. I'm skeptical and cold. And the Indians who lived here once were probably cold, too. He shrugged and said, this life seems much more natural to me. 
At least I had to agree with that. A few days later, Clark came running over to my TV with his Bible all excited. Look at this, he said, pointing to Genesis 4-2. It says, Cain was a tiller of the ground. The Bible is talking about how the first murderer was also the first farmer. And in the 25th verse, it makes it clear that Abel, the brother who was not the farmer, was the one who loved God the most. So what, I said. It's a classic archetype of the oldest child being the most beloved, but also the one who screws up. It's all over, from Greek mythology to Shakespeare. Don't you see, Clark said, Adam and Eve were gatherers like we are now. They walked around the Garden of Eden and picked up food. But then they tasted of the knowledge of good and evil, of life and death. That's your food supply. You live or die by it. When you live as a gatherer, you live by a whim of nature. If there's no food, you die. When you begin to store up food, you can defy nature and survive a drought. You then have the power to control life, the knowledge of life or death, or good and evil. So the tasting of the apple must have meant that Adam and Eve experimented with agriculture, and in doing so, they defied the God of nature. It's a warning. It's saying that the primitive life of hunting, gathering, and herding was more in accord with nature's way than is agriculture. Clark dove deep into the issue, but I didn't consider it all that important at the time. I couldn't see how when people started farming after the end of the Ice Age, it had been such a bad thing. After all, it brought us modern society and science. Clark, however, was totally certain that agriculture and what he called the organized ones were responsible for the coming death of the earth. The book, The Prophet's Way. Uh, Linwood in uh, Goochland, Virginia. Hey, Linwood, what's up? Thank you for taking my call. Before I go into my statement, I want to make a quotation by a gentleman by the name of Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. He said this in 1971. If you do not understand white supremacy racism, what it is and how it works, everything else that you understand will only confuse you. And this gentleman is the author of a book called The United Independent compensatory code system concept. Now, we want to talk about the difference between what is a police officer and what is a race soldier. The definition of a police officer for your audience is this as simple. Any person who speaks and acts to promote justice and correctness among all people at all times, in all places, in all areas of activity, including economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. We currently do not have that thing. We currently have what is called race soldiers. These persons are white people who use law in such a manner as to aggressively and defensively establish, maintain, expand, and or refine the practice of white supremacy. These persons are not police officers. What you're seeing currently are white people who are race soldiers. This entire discussion about the looting and the all this other nonsense about reform, scratch all that. It doesn't need to be reform. The reform that needs to be repl- needs to be replaced is white people replacing the system that they created, and that is white supremacy. You, Mr. Hartman, are the problem. Anybody that's a white liberal, white conservative, anybody that's a white person, whether directly or indirectly, that has contributed to the problems of what's happening today, need to actually not talk to non-white people, need to talk to themselves. I mean, it's great that you guys want to get out there and, you know, protest, you know, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. 
no, we don't need to have that. that that's, that's just tacky behavior. White people need to solve this problem. We don't need to be holding your hands like your little kids. We're grown people. Solve this problem. Got it. I, you know, I can't disagree with anything you said, Linwin. And, and I, speaking to a majority white audience on this show, I hope that I'm having some positive impact in that direction. Thank you, Linwood. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's up? Hello, Tom. Nice to talk to you again. For the police discussion, I think we're getting a little bit off track. I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, how bad the police are, and, and, and they are bad, but they're not giving any solutions. And I think people need to realize that the police are there primarily to protect property rights. And the sooner we eventually realize that, the sooner we can get people educated and realize that we need to just simply abolish the police. The police state we currently have is not working for us. It is working for the, the bourgeoisie. They, when, whenever there's rioting, they always go out and they don't protect the people, they protect the property rights. And the sooner we have a unity of white and black unite and not this agreement policy, politics, we can finally change this country for the better. Yeah, well, changing this country for the better seems like a fine thing. Again, we have an entire political party, the Republican Party, and a, and a fair number of Democrats who, are, who seem to be more committed basically to getting rich you know, to exploiting whatever situation they can to enhance their own power rather than You're fixing things. To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Because in the case of the Republican Party, they have no guiding principles. In the case of those Democrats who have basically abandoned us, uh, they're thrown in with the Republicans. We'll be back. Coming up on the science revolution, biodiversity is dying as Trump opens 5,000 square miles of the ocean to the free market. Dr. Lauren Waller joins us to discuss how and why native plants can sequester carbon better and longer. Plus, Jim Adams from the Alaska National Parks Conservation Association is here on why Trump is allowing hunters to kill bear cubs in their dens. Are big game hunters like Don Jr. gleefully heading to Alaska to kill baby animals again? And cultural economist Dr. Jacoba Williams talks about how studies show black deaths at the hands of law enforcement are linked to historical lynchings. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever you find great podcasts. And welcome back. Corky in Rochester, New York. Hey, Corky, what's on your mind today? Well, I just like to, I wonder if you know exactly what Trump is doing, because I think I do. I think Okay, he's what do you think he's doing? I think he's trying to destroy this country before he gets out of office because he's really mad at everybody here. I mean, uh, the banks won't lend him money. The correspondence dinner 2011 embarrassed him terribly. And he's really mad. And you know how vindictive he gets when he's mm-hmm. trying to even his poor. Yeah, the, the point I was making in my tweet... You can find it if you just go over to Tom underscore Hartman and uh, on Twitter, you can, you can find it, was that what Armin, my friend Armin, who, who was literally there when Hitler committed suicide and who wrote a book about it and, you know, lived that horrible life, 
It took him almost three months after he fled the Fuhrer bunker after Hitler's uh, suicide to make his way to the American forces and surrender to the Americans. And that's how he ended up becoming a U.S. citizen. What Armin was saying was that Hitler wanted to take Germany down with him. Hitler basically said words to the effect of, my people have failed me. My army has failed me. They all should die. And, you know, and, and many of them had already. And I'm, I'm looking at 105,000 dead Americans right now. I'm looking at, at Donald Trump urging police all across the country and urging governors to use violence against protesters. And I'm thinking I'm hearing the echo of this, Corky. Yeah, I believe I am. I know he wants to destroy this country, period. Because that yeah, embarrassment yeah, he suffered and the banks won't lend him money for his businesses. So he goes over to the Soviet Union. Now, I think there's a secret promise no, he there. goes over to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I got it. Corky, thank you. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.